Thanks for joining us today for the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast, a place where trauma, hardship, and challenge meet faith and hope for the future. Here is your host, Jill Riley. Welcome to Post Traumatic Faith. Season three has arrived. I am so excited to share with you this season new guests, new topics, and some great conversations. So tune in every week on Fridays. We will have a new episode. Also, this season, we will celebrate our 100th episode. So stay tuned for that. Just happens to fall on my birthday, October 28th. So we will have a big celebration. Thank you so much for joining us. And here's today's guest. Welcome to Post Traumatic Faith. This is Jill Riley. And today I'm very excited to have Eddie Johnson with us. Good morning, Eddie. Good morning. Good morning. How is life in Atlanta? Wow. Life in Atlanta is not too bad right now. Weather is good. Uh, We're expecting highs in the 60s this week. And um, we can't complain now. I think that's a pretty good uh, weather for, for the fall. Especially well, for, yeah, for the for the winter, it is compared to compared to where I'm at. That sounds positively balmy. We're we're a little bit little bit north of you, so <laughs> yes, very much so. <laughs> so let me tell you a little bit about Eddie. Eddie is a breakthrough expert, speaker, author, and servant leader who brings life and joy to situations. An encourager with an upbeat attitude towards others, Eddie has the unique ability to find the best in everyone. Eddie is the founder and CEO of E4 Inspiring Motivations, a personal and professional development company that specializes in helping business professionals discover purpose, which leads to meaningful and continued success. E4 Inspiring Motivations also trains business professionals to successfully break through adversity so they can adjust and remain productive in their personal and professional lives. Eddie is the author of the book, Passing the test of faith and is a firm believer that we are blessed in various ways to be a blessing to others. Well, we are recording this right now during the Thanksgiving season. It won't be heard until the spring, but um, I think that is it is appropriate that, you know, we talk about being a blessing to others, especially during this Thanksgiving season. So how do you how do you go about that in your life? Do you think are you able to be a blessing to others? You know, my biggest thing is uh, when I walk out of the door every morning, um, one of the prayers that I have is, you know, guys, how how do I inspire somebody today? Mm-hmm. You know, who am I to pour into? Who am I to bless today uh, with my presence and all? So, you know, I look for opportunities like that to make a difference in yes. the life of someone else. Um, what I've come to realize and learn, and I think we all know this, is that we all go through certain things in our life. And sometimes the person that we walk by just need a smile or so, the person that we walk by and just need someone to, to just speak to them in a warm way, mm-hmm. you know? So I just look for opportunities to inspire other people, um, however that may be. Right. Right. I think, and that's, that's so key is meeting people where they're at and trying to understand what will motivate, inspire and encourage them. Right. Right. In the, in the spot where they are at. That's right. That's right. And especially during this time of the year, um, you know, the holidays can be a challenge for so many people, you know, especially after coming um, where we are now with dealing with COVID, right. you know, a lot of people have experienced a lot of loss um, a lot of major illness, 
And it can be a very challenging time for a lot of people. So um, right now is, is, is that time of the year where we really do need to be embracing other people as much as possible. You know, it's almost as if as a society, we are kind of holding our collective breath to see what what's going to happen next. And in every region in the world, it seems to be that way that everybody's just kind of trepidatiously looking forward to um, to the future, which is kind of an ominous way to live life. We've never had a circumstance like that before where we as a as a global community have done that, you know, as individual countries we have, but as a global community, this is a pretty unique circumstance, don't you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. It has certainly put all of us um, on guard, basically, mm-hmm. you know, and put us in a totally different mindset with how we how we think, how we live um, and also how we embrace other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell me this. Um, what does your daily life look like these days? My daily life, what it looks like. Interesting. Um, so, you know, for me. I try to start my day with something positive. And I say something positive, meaning um, thinking about what's ahead, but also making sure that I spend, take some time for a little bit of quiet time um, and everything. Um, spending some time with God, devotional, you know, going through prayer through the day uh, to start my day. But um Things for me, I mean, for the most part, it's always, again, trying to find how do I, what can I do to make a difference, whether it's different types of programs, um, whether it's um, speaking opportunities, you know, to be able to speak to other people. So that's what my days are like, um, just trying to find a way to make that connection so Mm -hmm. a difference can be made. We were talking earlier and you have three teenagers. Yes. And life with them. What is the... What is the most challenging part of parenting a house full of teenagers right now? Is getting them to understand um, that as a parent, we have their very best interests at heart. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as we were talking earlier, because of um, access to social media and technology, the way that they have now it's so easy for those outside influences to um, to guide them. So as parents, when we're trying to, you know, shed some light or provide some some thought or some wisdom, you know, they see that differently as the world provides it. Right. And the way that the world provides it seems to be a little bit more fun and thrilling versus the way that we want to try to, that, that we communicate as parents. So getting them to understand um, that we have their best interests at heart and, and all could be one of the, what I found to be one of the most challenging things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in, um, like you said, with the social media being how it is, it's almost like, you know, smoke that feel, fills the room, right? It's all of a sudden they're just enveloped with all of this stuff going on around them with, with no way for us to filter it almost. That's and right. It's, it's very difficult, very difficult. And my kids are, um, 
just uh, heading into adulthood. So, you know, I see some of that, but not as much as some of my friends with younger, with younger kids. So, so good on you and, uh, and uh, good luck to you in in all of, all of the parenting challenges. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You know, it's funny, you know, I, growing up, well, not growing up, but ever since my kids were born, they would say, I would hear people always say, and embrace, embrace every bit of it now, because it goes by fast. And it's so funny. I'm, I, I was speaking to one of my mentees yesterday who has a, a son that's about to turn two years old. And I was saying the same thing. Enjoy these times now and embrace it because it's going to go fast. And when they hit those teenage years, it's a totally different ball game than yeah. what you see right now. You know, um, and for some, it can be very exhausting. Even for myself, it can be exhausting um, parenting in and of itself, you know, so I can only imagine um, what the future will be like for them as they become parents, because their children are going to be so much more exposed to things that they're exposed to currently right now. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So uh, tell me a little bit about your teenage years. You and I talked uh, some months ago and, and you talked about a faith experience that you had in the ninth grade that was kind of profound for you. So what was that? Yeah. So Jill, I was um, back when I was in junior high school, well, they call it middle school. Now we call it junior high school back then. Yes, but yeah. back in my junior high school years, I was what some would consider, you know, a pretty good athlete. You know, I had played basketball, football, ran track. Um, and my eighth grade year, I actually broke a school record in the first basketball game of the season. I scored 41 out of 45 points. And during that time, you know, it was a lot of little chatter. And this kid is pretty good. You know, Mm -hmm. so that was eighth grade year, ninth grade year rolls around and I'm back on the football um, field. I'm the quarterback of the football team, uh, co-captain, most outstanding offensive player. And um, everything was great. School was good. I was a star athlete in the school and basketball rolls around, which is my favorite sport. And um, toward the end of the season, I had a major injury. Mm-hmm. Um, an injury that was so bad um, in one of the games that I ended up having to have surgery on my hand. And um, I had broken and dislocated my thumb, broke it, the finger next to it, um, sprained my wrist, and also um, sprained my knee at the same time. Did somebody land on you? Well, I was able to do something a little back then, not many ninth graders could dunk a basketball. Uh-huh. And I was one of those that could. And um, this particular game, I had dunked the ball twice in the game already. And with less than a minute and a half left in the game, I had a fast break and I'm going down and someone decided they were going to try to defend me on this on this fast break. And as I went up, they went up and they tried to um, block me while I was dunking the ball. And they knocked me off balance. Mm. And I landed. And when I came down, I tried to catch myself. And when that happened, I hit, but what happened is my thumb actually rolled back to my wrist. Mm. Yeah, oh. it was a pretty nasty blow. If you right? can see me now, I'm just cringing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was not a pretty sight to see, believe me, um, and all. But but that's what happened. Um, 
it was an accident and I know it was, he was just playing the game and everything. But, um, long story, because I did the high jump in the, in the, uh, in track and field, which was the next sport coming up, I was determined I was going to get out and I was going to win the championship in the high jump. And, um, the bad part is my 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 uh, doctor said, Eddie, you cannot do the high jump because if you land on this thumb and it's not healed, you may potentially lose your thumb. So I was determined. They would wrap my hand up in this football pad. Then they would wrap a house pillow around it just to protect my hand. And uh, I would go out and try to do the high jump. Because of this injury and these restrictions, I had no confidence. All my confidence was gone. I couldn't jump higher than five, three, five, four. Couldn't want to track me. It was horrible. And I remember going to my athletic director toward the end of the track season, which is toward the end of the school year. And I said, I'm going to win athlete of the year. And he says, there are other good athletes here in the school. And in order for you to win this award, you're going to have to do something in track and field at the district or championship meet. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm probably not going to even qualify. How in the world am I going to do this, right? So I go home and I share this, share with my mother what was told me, what, what was told to me. And I'm, I'm a pretty emotional guy, you know, and I'm just tears running down my face. My mother, she looks at me. She says, son, do you know what faith is? She said, if you believe that you can, and you have faith that you can do anything. So she gave me these scriptures on faith um, to read. And she just said, you just got to trust God on this. And she said, probably the most important thing that she that she shared with me in that moment is she said, this is your test. Mm. She said, you need to look at it like this. You're in the ninth grade right now. And Let's say up until this point, you've had this preparation for this test. But if you fail this test, imagine going back to the seventh grade to start all over again. And I was like, man, I don't want to do that. So I got to pass this this test of having faith. Right. So I read these scriptures every day that she gave me. And um, I said, I have nothing to lose. I got to try it before I knew it. I went out to the district meet and. I just cleared five, four, five, six, five, eight, five, ten. Now I just cleared six feet. Mm. And um, I ended up taking second place in that particular meet, the district meet, and the top four goes to the championship. So um, the following week, I go to the championship meet, and it's the same thing. And it's down to me and the same guy from the prior week. And um, I ended up winning the championship, which meant I went to um, I ended up winning athlete of the year. What I didn't realize then, because I was so young, is that that experience in my life, it had to happen. And I say that because. I believe that that was a foundation of my faith, me being able to trust God the way that I do now today. And um, I also believe this, too, is that. Every time I jumped over that bar, over five, four, five, six, my faith was growing and I did not know it. Mm-hmm. So that was like a defining moment for me, um, which would further lead me on later on in life 
to realize the power of faith and understand it, but also to be able to make some connections later on in life back to this point. Yeah. Yeah. Were you raised in a, a religious home in a, in church? Yes, I, I was, you know, I grew up in a single family household. Um, um, my mother, uh, my sister, and I have a brother as well that my mother adopted when he was seven um, and everything. And, you know, her thing was that she believed in the power of prayer and she shares with us all the time, especially with me, that when I was born, she had made, she prayed and said, God, if you give me a son, I will give him back to you. Mm-hmm. So that was her prayer early on before I was even born. And she held to that promise to make sure that we had the foundational pieces spiritually that we would need um, as we're growing up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's great. There's, there is nothing more formative than a parent's influence in your faith development, right? Yes, 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 absolutely. Absolutely crucial. So um, bring us up to uh, 2003, and you had a major devastating tragedy in your life. Tell us a little bit about Kendall. Yeah, so Kendall, Kendall was born, it's my firstborn son. He was born in 2000. And um, in 2003, that's when life started to really make a turn for me in the sense of my faith and understanding my faith. Um, In 2003, Kendall was diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor. And I'll never forget being in the emergency room after um, doing a CT scan and the the doctor coming in and saying, um, your son has a tumor. As he said that, I'm looking at my son and I'm looking at my wife at the time And I'm thinking to myself, what in the world? And the only thing I knew to do, Jill, at that moment was just to start praying. Mm -hmm. And I literally tuned the doctor out so much so that the doctor could tell that I wasn't paying attention. And he stopped. He says, hey, dad, this is real serious. I said, I know. So when he when he left out of the room, just hearing this, this, this information, I looked at my son and my wife at the time, I said, I'll be back. And I went outside and I just found a quiet spot. And all I could do is just pray and say, God, there's nothing I can do in this situation. I have to rely on you. So I'm turning this completely over. Yeah. There's nothing more helpless than seeing your child suffer and knowing that medically you can't do anything for them. Yeah. Um, we, we share that we share in common um, that we have dealt with childhood cancer. My daughter was two and a half when she was diagnosed. Yeah. And I remember, Eddie, I remember driving down the street and looking at everybody and going, you don't understand. My whole world just changed. Everything just changed. The universe just shifted and, and all all of you people are going about your daily lives yep. because it's such a it's such an impactful thing in your life that it's hard to it's hard to describe to people. It is. It is. It's very hard to describe. And you know, because it's so hard to describe, it, it's hard to wrap your head around it sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, but I just knew in that moment that I had to rely on something that was far bigger than me. Mm-hmm. And um, 
as time went on and all, what I didn't realize is that people were watching to see how I was handling this situation. And I had no clue that I was under this microscope. And people started to eventually ask me, it's probably about a good year or so later, year and a half later, after his diagnosis, started to ask me, you know, hey, Eddie, where'd you get faith to trust God that way? You know, I don't think I could have had that kind of faith. And um, I wish I had that kind of faith. I was hearing things like that over and over. And as a result, it caused me to wonder, yeah, where did I get faith to trust God with something so big, right? Now, mind you, even though I would have faith and I was trusting God for his healing, I had my moments of, 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 of weariness. I had my moments of being down. I had my work moments of, of just being an emotional wreck as a father, because I'm wondering why is this happening to my son, my family, inside of my household? You know, why isn't this happening somewhere else in another state, but this is happening here? Right. So um, that was kind of the, the, the situation in regards to Kendall, but it was such a, it's almost like it just like happened yesterday sometimes, yes. because there's so many things that are so clear as to what was going on and the things that were taking place. So when I say things taking place, for example, um, you know, I say I entertained an angel. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I know I entertained an angel and I'll tell you why one, just to see how he impacted so many people at such a young age, um, at the age of three years old, to touch people the way that he did. I'll give you an example. Um, there was someone who actually said that, hey, you know, I would pray at night, but I would always pray in my bed. And I didn't get on my knees. And they said, because of Kendall's diagnosis, I started getting on my knees to pray, you know? And that to me meant a lot, you know? Um, I remember, um, I remember, um, Kendall had passed a month before turning four. And I remember after his service, sitting in the car um, after the service and someone coming up to me and saying, thank you. And I'm thinking to myself, thank you. And what he was saying was, thank you for sharing your son and your story, but thank you for your the strength you displayed mm -hmm. in all of this, you know? So again, it kind of goes back to show that we never know what other people are going through. And right? we never know when they're watching. That's right. That is exactly right. You know, so that was my my my, my story with Kendall. But the, the part when I say an angel is I remember when Kendall was about five months into his diagnosis, it was Christmas time. And um, it was actually two things. But the first was Christmas morning not Christmas morning, but Christmas day for dinner, we're having dinner and um, I'm about to bless the food. And Kendall stops me and he says, hey, dad, let me um, bless the food. I want to bless the food. And I said, OK, sure, go ahead. So I'm thinking, you know, he's going to do, you know, God is grace, God is good. Right. And he says the Lord's prayer, excuse me, the Lord's prayer from beginning to end. And he said it such that 
at every verse, he would stop so that we could repeat it after him. So that meant he had to know it very well to do it. The reason he knew it, and I did not realize this, um, you know, we talked about earlier when I was talking about my mother um, planting that foundation and that seed inside of me, is every morning I would drive Kendall to daycare, I would say the Lord's Prayer. From the very first time I ever drove into daycare, once he started, got to the point that he could talk, he would repeat it after me. And we never did a, a rehearsal of him doing it and I do it after him. And that was the first time. And that was like a major shock. And in that moment, that's when I realized that he had a personal relationship with God himself. Mm -hmm. And all those times that we were um, having prayer visuals at the house and all, I personally believe that he was actually praying for us. Yeah. You know, you know, there is something really unique about cancer kids or kid, other kids with catastrophic or chronic illness that they have um, an innate ability to connect with their creator in ways that we may never be able to do because yeah. they're just um, there's just a special part of them that uh, seems to come with that kind of a challenge, don't you think? Yeah, I, I do believe that as well. And and I say that because after Kendall's illness, um, I actually sat on the board for the Brain Tumor Foundation for Children here in Atlanta. Um, it's now called the Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation. But I sat on the board for like seven, eight years. And I got the opportunity to meet so many families and that, or that were experiencing going through this very similar thing. And just to see how they just maneuvered through life, like it wasn't bothering them the way that it was bothering us, mm -hmm. you know, and they were so resilient. So, and so. to your point, yeah, I do believe that they have a very special connection that we don't have. We have, but they have a special connection and everything. So that was, uh, I would have to agree with you on that. Yeah, definitely. You know, for me, walking through a children's hospital and walking through the blood ward and then walking to a cancer ward where everything has a radioactive symbol on it, I, I began to wonder, is there a good God? Like, how can God be good if there is a hospital filled with children that are drastically, dramatically ill? Until you talk to these children and spend time with them and their caregivers and you realize that God's love and grace and, and mercy is present through these little lives that are suffering, but generally just handling life way better than we could, right? Exactly. Exactly. No, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. So, you know, I shared the story about the prayer. Um and knowing that I entertained this angel, but the part that really like stood out and I, it was in this moment that I really knew that I entertained an angel was, um, again, this is in December of 2003. My wife and I, um, at the time we found out we're expecting now, mind you, Jill, I'm praying for Kendall's healing. Right. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, that's when I had a rough moment. I kind of rebelled a little bit. And I was like, hold up, God, are you trying to prepare me for 
something else as a replacement, because if that's the case, that's not what I want. Right. You know, I want him to be healed. Right. So um, I kind of rebelled for a couple of days and then I came to my senses and all. But I remember um, us showing Kendall this sonogram and saying, hey, man, you're going to be a big brother. You know, what do you want? You want a, um, a, a, a brother or a sister? And the first thing he said was, let me see. He wanted to see the sonogram. And um, he says, I don't see a baby. So he falls asleep that night and I put it on the nightstand. Next morning, he wakes up and says, hey, where's the picture of my baby? That's my baby, my picture. So again, I said, hey, what do you want? You want a boy or a girl? And he says, I want two babies. And I said, well, there's not two babies. There's only one baby. And he looks at me, he says, I want two. And then he just ran off, right? So this deal happened for about a month. It was always two babies. So finally, after about a month, he says, I want a girl baby, right? So I was like, okay, you know, we'll see what we have. Well, about a week after Kendall passed, we found out that we was having a girl baby. So that was really cool because he said he wanted a girl. So it was like, man, he wanted a girl. He knew it, right? Well, Ken, uh, my daughter's born Kennedy and she's about seven months old. And um, we had planned to go out and look for daycare for her on a Friday. And this happened to be a Thursday. And we did a little home pregnancy test. And lo and behold, we found out that we're expecting again. So this was a little like, man, this is awesome. But then again, we're still grieving. And not only that, um, Kenny's only seven months, so she's real young. And it's like, man, it's a lot. So we're out looking for daycare and daycare here in the area that we live in is very expensive. And I'm thinking to myself, how in the world are we going to do this? How are we going to pull this off? $1,800 to $2,300 a month. I have no idea for two kids, right? So um, that Monday, um, I'm traveling on business. And my wife at the time, she goes in to get a sonogram. And she calls me up. She's laughing. She's crying, laughing, crying. And I'm like, what is going on? Tell me what happened. What happened? And she says, well, the nurse asked me, how would I feel if we had two babies? And she says, yeah, I know we have Kennedy and we're going to have another one. She says, no, you're having twins. <laughs> and in that moment, when she said that to me, I was like, whoa. Now, the first thing that came to my mind, John Jill, was this number of 1,800 to 2,300 just went up. Okay. Yep. It just went up big time to like 2,700 to like 3,400. I'm like, how in the world are we going to pull this off? Right. That was the only thing on my mind was the numbers. But um, what I realized is that. He knew what was coming. Mm -hmm. We had no idea. And I do believe that being blessed with Kennedy was a blessing. But, you know, the Bible says that God will reward you for your faith. Mm -hmm. And I believe because of that faith that was demonstrated during his illness and even afterwards, that was just God's way of, of blessing us. Mm -hmm. And rewarding us as a result of that faith by allowing us to have twin boys. Yeah. And that's so, um, 
so foundational, you know, the way that our kids uh, interact with God um, informs our faith. Yes. Forms uh, how we how we view the world and the word and um, life in general, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, how how did you change as a person after Kendall's death? You know, I think after his passing and as I mentioned, kind of hearing about, you know, where did I get faith this way? And everything, taking time to just kind of sit down and reflect, okay, where did I get faith to trust God like this? You know, I started going back over my mountain ex- experiences, my mountains past. And those mountains I'm referring to are those challenges in life, right? So as I was going back over my life in search of the foundation of my faith, I started making these connections. And as I was making these connections and going backwards, that's when I ended up in the ninth grade. And that's when all of a sudden life began the process of kind of making sense for me. Mm-hmm. And I say that because, again, the whole foundation of my faith started in the ninth grade that I recall, mm-hmm. right, with that injury. And what I realized is that, of course, that had to happen when I thought that was an injury that took all my dreams and aspirations away. But that was an incident that had to happen to prepare me for what was going to come 17 years later. Right. Because without that experience and without the other experiences in my life, 2003 would have crushed me. Right. But in other words, it was preparing me. And and only hindsight and some wisdom and experience can expose you to that connective tissue that goes from when you're, when you're, you know, 15 and struggling to this as an adult, losing a child, only, only experience and, and um, insight can, can give you that kind of understanding. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, being able to make that connection was, um, was a defining moment for me, you know, after uh, Kendall's passing. Um, And I really understood the true power of faith after his passing. It literally brought everything closer to me in full definition um, and everything. So, you know, regardless of where our level of faith is, we're going to have challenges in life. And regardless of how big these challenges are, And regardless of how big our faith is, it can still have us kind of like, man, okay, am I going in the right direction here? But because of those experiences, after his passing, it allowed some of these challenges I've experienced since 2004 to not be as crushing Mm -hmm. as they could have been, you know? So that was a, I would say, you know, afterwards that allowed me to bring, I guess you could say, embrace some of the stuff that was coming at me, knowing that, you know what, I'm going to get through this. If I got through that, I can get through this. Yeah. You know, so, so yeah, I just think my faith grew in a, in a, in a, in a, at a higher level. And as this time has gone on, I've experienced more and more. I've had the opportunity just to experience the, the great works. Um, like I say, the splendor of God. Mm-hmm. You know? That's amazing. 
So you had um, another really life altering event that happened in 2017. What happened then? Yeah. So um, this was a this was a this was a good one. Um, a very life defining moment. So in 2017, in April of 2017, um, I'm celebrating 20 years of uh, work experience with the company I was with in April. And in that same month, life changes. What what um, industry were you in? I was in the, um, so I was in professional credit management. Okay. I was my background and career. And I worked for this great, wonderful company, um, just amazing company to work for um, that sold actually plumbing supplies and lighting, um, lighting fixtures and heating and air pretty much anything that goes in your home, they sold it and all. But um, I was downsized, mm-hmm. you know, in the month I'm celebrating 20 years. And what was so interesting, Jill, about that experience is the fact that the night before I met with my director for this conversation, God had told me to go to um, go to church. And I'm gonna back up a second. Probably about a week before that, God literally told me this job was about to leave. I was about to lose this job. And and I think because of my relationship and me taking time on a regular and a daily basis, I was able to embrace that, knowing that that was coming mm-hmm. and kind of prepare myself because that was a big that was a big deal. Right. So the night before, God tells me to go to church. Now, I'm thinking to myself, and I'm like, well, God, I got to deal with this meeting tomorrow. I'm not thinking about going to church. Plus, it was bad weather that night, really bad weather. And I was like, weather's bad. I'm not doing that. He said, I need you to go to church. So I I fussed in the whole, now I'm driving to church. I'm screaming and fussing. And I get there, and my pastor says, I'm going to do something I've never done before. It was a Wednesday night. And he says, the weather is so bad that we need to get out of here. So we're going to have prayer. But first, I'm going to give a scripture. We're going to have prayer. and We're going to get out of here. And he reads Philippians 4, 6, and 7, which in essence says, worry about nothing, pray about everything, give thanks, and I will grant you that peace that surpasses understanding. I just kind of summarized. And Jill, when he read that, that piece hit me. And it was a piece that I was familiar with. And the piece was so much so that I had enough peace to say, God, if you're ready to close a chapter of 20 years, I'm willing. And for you to open a new chapter. Mm-hmm. And that's when the Holy Spirit just hit me and just said, trust me. All I need you to do is trust me. Because what I'm going to do is going to blow your mind, but you have to trust me. And I'm sitting here with tears just rolling down because I knew I was about to enter into a different season of my life. Right. And um, it was just an unbelievable situation. Fast forward the next day. um, I have this conversation with my director and um, it was. Again, I've been there for 20 years, built some great relationships, 
um, with, with a lot of people, customers as well as employees. But I'm leaving the office, Jill, and as I'm leaving the office for the very last time, I'm driving down the road. I have my radio on. And within five minutes, there was a song that came on the radio by an artist by the name of Yolanda Adams. And she sings a song that essentially says this battle is not yours. Mm -hmm. And I lost it. I lost it real bad, Jill. I had to pull over to the side of the road that I lost it so bad emotionally. Mm -hmm. And the reason being is back when Kendall was diagnosed with his, his tumor, every time I was having a really rough moment as a father and just filled with emotions, this song would come on the radio. Mm. It was after about three or four times of realizing that every time I was in my weakest moment, this song would come on. And that's when I realized that one of the ways that God speaks to me was through gospel songs. Mm -hmm. And what he was telling me was, this is not your battle, Eddie. Yeah. It's mine. This is not yours. Right. So going through that with Kendall meant a lot in every major situation I faced since 2003. This song would always manage to pop up when I needed the most. And here it was popping up on the day that I don't know what's next for me, mm -hmm. you know, after 20 years of being with this great company and this happens, but it gave me that assurance that I just needed to, like I've always had, put it into his hands and I got to trust him with it, even though I can't see where it's going to take me. Wow. And that's such a powerful, powerful song. Um, you know, you listen to that and, and it's, it's, uh, again, goes to the core of our faith, right? Where we just say, you know, we surrender what we thought was our own and yeah. treat it as if it's part of the divine and part of the holy and, and, and let God deal with, do what God does. Right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. So that whole experience literally pushed me into a totally different direction. And what direction was that you went into coaching then? I went into coaching then, but first, before I did that, I um, I went through this process of purpose discovery afterwards, and um, that was a really eye-opening experience for me, um, just kind of making some personal connections of myself and better understanding what was things of qualities that I didn't think about, such as my strengths. You know, I've done disassessments and things of that nature, but being able to understand my strengths, um, um, understanding what I'm passionate about, my passions and those kind of things. Right. So as a result of that, I was able to, to uh, discover my purpose, which is to encourage, inspire and motivate others to believe, break through adversities so that they can and help them get to the next level in their life. Right. So. As a result of that experience, I knew that it was time for me to do something different. Um, I ended up writing a book, um, passing the test of faith. Mm -hmm. And that was an interesting experience, Jill, because um, probably eight years prior to me being downsized from my job, and this was after Kendall had passed, God had told me to write this book. And when he told me to write this book, he told me to share my story. And I was like, me share a story? There's no way, <laughs> right? I'm not, number one, I'm a numbers guy. Mm 
writing is not my thing and <laughs> it's on faith. Um, who wants to hear my story? You know, so all these things are in my head. I was like, I'm the wrong person that he just said this to. But he also had given me the title of the book at the time. Right. So what I ended up realizing is that this ember that was placed in me over time was slowly becoming a flame. Mm. And I had been writing notes. I, I still have um, napkins with little notes I would write things on, uh, sticky notes and stuff like that. But after being downsized, I knew that that was something I needed to do. Um, I had started, could never finish it. And I knew that there was something was going to happen in my life that was going to push me to the place that I would have to do it. And it was mm. me being downsized from my job. And so how long did it take you to write that book? So I actually had started um, in 2012. I actually put the very first word to paper. Um, as a matter of fact, it was May the 29th of 2012. And I know that because my birthday is May 28th and Kendall's birthday is May 29th. And it was a Monday. It was Memorial Day. And I was sitting there. I said, I'm going to start putting words to paper today. So I started. And um, but over that time, I just could not finish. I thought I was maybe halfway done, but I wasn't quite halfway done at the t- in 2017 when I really got down to it. So I would say from the month of May, the end of May until uh, 2017, until February is when it was published of 2018. So it took me several months of just complete dedication to that and that only. Wow. Well, as an aspiring author, that is uh, encouraging to me. I have the bones, the bones of, of my project and I keep waiting for that that moment when that boost of inspiration and God breathed uh, fire to come into, to come into the project. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you, you know, it's so many people with great stories to tell. And and Jill, I know you have a great story to tell and to share with the world. And I'll tell you, there's somebody who, who needs to hear it, Mm. you know, because somebody's going to be blessed by it. Um, It is not an easy thing, you know, um, I've had people to say, hey, man, was it hard? Was it easy? For me, it was I felt it was hard and challenging. However, I will say this, because God gave it to me. Um, he orchestrated everything, you know, with it. I had no clue what I was doing. Mm-hmm. When I say no clue, I didn't know what the process was. I didn't know what the steps were, you know, after writing the manuscript. Um, and everything, I didn't know what was next. And what was so interesting is though, as I was writing and he was providing all of these different, um, things for me to write the subtitles for the chapter and the whole nine, that provision, right? Every time it was time for the next thing, he would provide the person that would actually do it. Mm -hmm. And it was just totally amazing. Um, I did self-publish. Mm-hmm. And everything, which um, I didn't go through a publishing company. So it was a good experience for me to be able to get those thoughts out that he wanted me to get out. And then to see the so many people be blessed by it, yeah, you know, yeah. 
Um, that means so much to me. You know, to have, have someone to say, this book sits on my nightstand, you know, because when I'm having those rough moments, I just pull it out and I just turn to a page and wherever page it is, it's, it's what I need for that day, for that moment in that season. That's great. So, right. so yeah. So what is, uh, I'm trying to condense this question because we're running out of time, but what is, what is the thing that most inspires you about coaching and about helping people get to that next level, whatever it is? So I like to see people win. And because my life is, has been filled with adversity and challenges in my past, um, and I've overcome them. I like people to be in a position to experience that same type of victory mm-hmm. and that same type of uh, that same type of uh, support and love that I receive from Christ. I want other people to experience that as well. So that really gets me fired up knowing that, you know what, someone is struggling or dealing with something right now. But you know what? They'll look back on this experience and they'll look back and say, I got past it. And I got through it. And you know what? I saw Eddie go through this. So I heard Eddie's story. And as a result of that, it gave me hope to get through my own. Mm, Yeah, that's great. So how do people find out more about the book, about you, if they want to engage you as a speaker, find out more information about uh, the work you do? Yeah. So the best way to find out more about me is by going to my website, which is eddielljohnson.com. That's Eddie uh, with an I-E, eljohnson.com. You can go there to my website um, to learn more about me and and reaching me about speaking opportunities. Um, Also about some of the programs that I offer, um, a purpose program that I provide. Um, to help people make that connection and find the best qualities of their authentic self, um, as well as the opportunity to uh, purchase the book. Mm-hmm. And one of the real cool things I did too, uh, Jill, is I took the book and I converted it into an online course. And it breaks the book down into small chunk sizes so that you can absorb the material that's in the book. Um, and actually apply it to your life as well. So you can do that. You can find that through the website or they can just go to uh, www.thebreakthroughplan.com. Yep. Thebreakthroughplan.com. And your mentoring and coaching, are those things that can be done at a distance or do you need to be um, living in your area? No, you know what? Thanks, uh, thanks to, to to COVID, I think everything can be done virtually nowadays. Yeah. But uh, certainly, uh, coaching um, can be done virtually, and it has been done. And and because we can able we're able to connect by seeing each other, it makes it a more personable experience for versus just talking over the phone. Yes. All right. Well, Eddie, it has been a joy to talk to you and I've really enjoyed our conversation very much and feel like we could talk for another hour. If only, you know, people were wanting to listen to us for a whole nother hour. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And thank you so much, Jill, for having me on and thank you for the work that you're doing to get the word out and and bless and and inspire other people um, and allowing people to hear the voice of others and everything. So thank you very much. Well, thank you.
If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can find Jill at JillRiley.com, on Facebook at JillRiley.Author, Twitter at JillRileyAuthor, and Instagram at JillRiley.Author. Also, feel free to send Jill an email at Jill at JillRiley.org. Thanks for listening in and have a great day.